Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm a nurse assistant practitioner in the City Learn Disabilities team. Tell me a bit about your role at the Trust. My role um, originally was as a healthcare assistant. Um, I then progressed to a nursing assistant practitioner. Main aspects of this role, um, supporting clients with their health needs, including health appointments, health advice. One of the specialities that you focus on in your role at the moment is male sexual and physical health. So how do you apply your knowledge of that topic to this role then? The reason I sort of wanted to focus on male sexual health, male health, um, tied into my time, um, I used to work at the Norfolk and Norwich, and one of the roles I had there was working in the Gento Urinary Medicine Department. There was a lot of sort of sexual health education, a lot of advice, and we'd see many patients come in who would, you know, sort of maybe not up to date with safe sex and the practices of this and STIs, other such things. And part of me thought, you know, we didn't really see many people with a learned disability in the clinic. You know, you, you might get the odd one too, but it wasn't something that was really that regular. And I was thinking, you know, people with learned disabilities, you know, they still go out there, they still have sex, they still have relationships. And, you know, it's just something that is very important to me, you know, very precious to me is that there is that education out there. But I really want to make that my speciality. So, you know, for referrals came through for somebody, you know, sexually inappropriate behaviours or relationship advice, um, someone who might be on the brink of becoming sexually active. Um, my role would then be to go out and using resources as well is to sort of talk about relationships. You know, what is safe sex? Is is sex actually what you want or do you feel it's something that is expected? Tying in with that as well, the men's health part, um, I gave a presentation during lockdown from an advocacy group called Opening Doors and that was around male health. And I found that really, really good as well. It was a really great opportunity for me to sort of meet the guys at Opening Doors. And it was discussing male health, including checking your testicles. And again, that's something that a lot of male clients I've worked with maybe aren't so aware of. It was being fed back as well. This discussion was brilliant, you know, and it was like, what do you do if you find a lump? And like a Q&A and really getting it out there from a man's point of view and looking at the things that I'd question my own health. And with clients with learned disabilities, you know, they might not have given that a thought. Um, general populists don't always, you know, there's a lot of people who think, oh, it's okay, you know, greet your teeth, I'm a man, bury my head in the sand, it's fine. So if I can advocate and just support anybody in that way. It's amazing work. And I mean, I guess you must have to work quite closely with families and carers as well to increase their understanding. We do, yeah, there are instances where there's family input as well, or the family member might have the concerns. Um, it's obviously with the consent of the client each time. So if the client says, I don't want to talk about sex with you, mate fair enough you know it's it's the person's right to say no but they can help you know sort of and with carers as well there can be that guidance certainly carer support as well you know people in supported living the carers that know the clients really well and they can encourage like with the checking of testicles you know when you've had a shower have you checked your balls today you know those little things that can be prompts and they can sort of come off the back of the initial work so yeah so family care input is valuable you said before at the beginning about working with a multidisciplinary team. So how do you kind of spread what you're doing, the good work that you're doing and the knowledge that you have and all of that questioning with patients? How are you kind of making sure that other people in the MDT are picking up on those things as well? I mean, it would be a discussion with anyone involved. So if there was like psychology input, other nurses involved, <clears throat> that would be fed through. So what I'm doing, what signposting and in my role as an assistant practitioner, obviously, you know, sort of it would be a discussion to say, is this the appropriate action as well? Not just to go gung-ho and say, we're doing this, we're doing that. 
and things like sexual health clinic advice I can provide. And we have iCash in Norwich who run an excellent service. And there have been instances where I've um, referred clients to go there. And if they need support, it can be nursing support or their carer. Someone they're comfortable to go with can support them with that. And um, we have easy read resources about going to the sexual health clinic as well, which takes takes that fear away a little bit, you know. And so I think the important thing, and this is advocating for our clients as well, and just ensuring that they haven't got that fear and that nervousness, same as, as any other health appointment, is to really explain that, you know, social story, easy read, anything at all that's there that explains what um, gum clinic does, but it would be shared. We have a Teams channel, so there's a sexual health channel, and I'm, I'm linked for the whole LD service at the moment, and people come to me for resources, we can discuss. So all, all the work that I do, so it's for the good of everyone, every team within learning disabilities, not just city, so every team. You're absolutely right, and you know, people with an LD need to be supported because they don't necessarily have the access to that information but you said you know you said yourself that the the general population are pretty bad at it as well you know do you do you find that you come across men just generally you know in your life who who aren't particularly good at checking themselves or making yeah. sure that they're looking after themselves you know yeah certainly yeah you know male friends people to speak to even like family um you know when you give them that little bit of advice <laughs> when they're a certain age and yeah, you know, there's sort of that perception, you know, when do you check your balls? That's the key thing is, you know, when do you check your balls? Oh, every so often, how do you check them? And you know, I just touch down there. And, you know, it's those things. So that education, I think is something that needs to be more mainstream as well, not just focus on learning disabilities, but really out there. I mean, there's the brilliant drive on prostate cancer, which is fantastic. You know, promotion on there, social media is obviously taking hold of that as well. You know, lots of great work going on there. But I still think sort of checking your balls and testicular health, men's health as a whole is something that, maybe needs more promotion or just you know more awareness we don't talk about it enough it's like people are scared to say the words you know testicles balls you know it's a, mm -hmm. the same for for women's you know often scared to talk about their periods or the menopause there's all these these words that if you say to certain people they sort of they or they wince you yeah. know oh my goodness can't believe you're talking about your testicles you know and it's like but hang on a second <laughs> that could save your life yeah, absolutely. I mean, men more likely to talk about the football in the pub, aren't they? Instead of saying, have you checked your balls today, mate? You know, it's just something that doesn't come up in that sort of conversation, you know. What are your thoughts on men's mental health and how it links to men's physical health? I have sort of had my own issues with anxiety in the past. And I think my thing was being a typical bloke was burying my head in the sand for a very long time. Thinking, oh, you know, it's probably my heart. I'm getting this tingling. Chest is racing. I'm maybe being a little bit irrational. But it's kind of identifying saying, right, okay, something's not right. I need to see a doctor or I need to get that help. And very much like with the testicular checks, it's having that, I'll use the phrase, having the balls to actually do so and say, you know, I'm not well or something's not right. Um, the learning disability team management were great when I, when I suffer with this. Um, regular contact, support, ensuring that I went to the GP, that I took every step necessary. And without that support, again, you know, I think that would have, that would have been difficult. But certainly, yeah, I mean, I'm in a great place. I've been for a few years now, you know, fantastic place. And yeah, so I say with men's health, um, men's mental health, I'd say it's really important to talk about it and also for others to identify because that's the thing for me. And it's something I've sort of promoted in the past as well via social media is um, it's OK to ask someone if they're OK. You know, you might have a colleague, male or female, but I know us men are notorious for not talking about feelings. You know, we, we do like to bury our heads in the sand. We do like to say, yeah, I'm all right, I'm fine. And off you go, I think, you know, it's it, it's just kind of what we do. And when you blokes down the pub again, like we're talking about your balls, you know, you don't say, say how you feeling, you're a bit stressed. Oh, you know, it's just not a conversation that you necessarily have. Um, even with my own wife, you know, it's like, do I admit that, you know, I've got this 
what I perceived at the time as a weakness. I mean, looking back, it's not a weakness. But I would say the advice I say the advice I would give is if you even pick up a hint that somebody's not quite as they should be, or something, you know, it could be work-related stress, it could be anything. Is just to take the time, you know, and say, are you okay? Do you want to just sit and chat, cup of tea, and just really take that time. Yeah, that's really good advice. And it's so interesting what you said about the physical symptoms, because I think that I, I have had experience of that with um, some of the men in my life where they've said, oh, I've got chest pains or, you know, I've got headaches or, you know, this and the other. And, it, and so they've gone on to Dr. Google and thought, well, it must be a heart attack or, you know, this, that, the other. And yeah. and then actually they've booked a GP appointment expecting the GP to say, oh, it's a trapped nerve or it's, you know, it is something to do with you. It's a heart murmur or, you know, it's something physical. And actually the doctor has said, I think you're suffering from anxiety. And so even in that moment, they've made the decision to go to the doctor, but still thinking it's going to be something physical, not that it's affecting their mental health. Mm. You get physical symptoms from issues with, with, your, with your mental health, don't you? And it really does manifest. Yeah, because I spent some time thinking, you know, is it my heart? You know, I sort of getting that fluttering, you know, left hand tingling headaches, um, shortness of breath, which all tied into the panic aspect. But uh, having never suffered with anxiety before, not being an anxious person, those symptoms, yeah, they were manifesting. It was Dr. Google, you know, it's like, well, I know this must be, it could be my heart, it could be something not quite right. And again, you know, we're not always great at going to the GP. We advise, we support our clients, we support everybody. Go and see your doctor. But when it comes to your own health, you think, well, you know, just see how we get on. And again, lesson learned from that. But um, yeah, interestingly, when I spoke to the doctor, um, yeah, she's done the GAD school, Generalised Anxiety Disorder Scale. And the boxes were being ticked left, right and centre. And it was then it was identified that it definitely was anxiety the first time around. And so it was fascinating to think, hang on, this is me. I'm on that piece of paper. This is how I feel. And I have a definition. I can do something or I can get the help. And again, you know, there was that, that work in place then. It really helped. So it's a diagnosis, isn't it? I mean, regardless of yeah. whether it's a diagnosis for something to do with your mental or your physical health, the fact that you then walk out of there with a diagnosis means that it gives you a purpose and it sort of propels you forward to go and get some help. It's all those yeah. bits at the beginning before you have that, isn't it? When you, the anxiety will only be getting worse because you, you don't know what it is. More often than not as well, other people in your circle are going through similar things it's incredible and you start talking about something that you think is a very mm. private personal thing the amount of people who say oh yeah no I know I have that or I know someone who has that or my brother has that it's yeah. actually very normal so true yeah I mean I've got a lot of good friends you know and people even sort of in the professional world you know that have come forward and said you know I've got anxiety or I've had it I understand what it's like and yeah it makes such a difference because right, initially, I mean, once you get that diagnosis as well, it's sort of a little bit of an isolating feeling. You think, well, blimey, anxiety, me. And again, you think, God, you know, I'm, this is a weakness. This is something to be embarrassed about. I think being able to speak to people as well and share those experiences, know, you know, that I mean, I've got male friends and female friends, you know, it's not just gender specific. You know, you, you can talk about it and it's not embarrassing. You know, I've sort of posted on social media some very sort of supportive posts in the past, you know, just sort of promoting mental health you know saying you know if you've got friends you know really getting that message across if you've got someone out there who isn't okay it's okay not to be okay and to talk and again you know friends will be in touch you know, people are maybe not spoken to for a little while who are like oh yeah i've been through this totally understand you or they've shared it and i, I just think it's, it's doing good it's getting that message out there it's interesting that you say it's not gender specific because you're right it's not but i do feel looking at the men in my life that and you said this earlier that men do struggle to talk about their emotions they struggle to go to the GP there's it is slightly different I think for men because if a woman is struggling with something this isn't a blanket 
for everybody but I feel like my personal female friends would turn to each other we've got a group whatsapp and someone would say just really struggling today or or even just turn to a friend or a family member and say that and I feel like the relationships and the communication there is just slightly different whereas male friends you would never know that something's going on until rock bottom there's one chap I used to be a postman a lifetime ago and it was always lively you know always good laugh you know and again I found out via Facebook I hadn't spent them for a few years you know but yeah it booked a holiday for him and his kids his wife and his kids and yeah he's went to Orwell Bridge and ended his life no reason and yeah there was, I don't think there was ever was so it's just that's the hardest thing is being able to communicate I think that's sort of part of my thing is trying to get that word out to say it's okay to talk for people to come and talk to you because I mean thankfully I didn't reach that level of rock bottom you know I wasn't at the stage where I felt suicidal at any point but I did feel absolutely awful you know bloody terrible to a mildly you know you think you know waking up in the morning's hard work functioning during the day almost like this neediness as well this need to be I don't know someone to be around which is really hard to describe you know because I'm not a needy person but when you have anxiety there's that neediness but you don't actually want to portray that it's really hard to sort of really just want someone to say you know you're not right are you but it's yeah it's really hard to describe that feeling that's really interesting that you zone. want someone to say that but at the same time you're yeah. not showing them that you're not all right so that exactly. how would they say yeah. it yeah isn't yeah. that interesting I didn't know yeah. that about that that feet that sense that you get. I would say yeah certainly I had that sense yeah that need for someone to say you're right because you're not you're not yourself you're not you're not doing okay at the minute but even in hindsight you know even remembering what you're like you know you get these little nuggets but it's almost like your memory of it sort of disappears a little and you come away thinking was that me that period of my life that feels like someone else almost but I think it is the hiding it at that point in my life I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to talk about it. Neither want someone to notice me. Maybe, who knows? But I didn't want to sit and say, "Oh, I feel really anxious. Oh, I don't feel right." And like you said with the WhatsApp group, you know, being able to talk among like your friends, I wouldn't have been able to do that. You know, speak to a male friend or even like my dad. You know, somebody. You know, and you know, I mean, he's been great. You know, when when my parents sort of knew about the anxiety, you know, fully supportive, in-laws fully supportive. But in your head, you think I'm showing weakness. You know, say, "Hi, Dad. I've got anxiety. I feel rubbish." I mean, it's been amazing, but. In my head, no, no, I can do that. It's ingrained, isn't it? I think in in male culture that if you speak <clears> up, <throat> if you say something, that you're gonna get the mick taken out of you, or yeah. you're, you know, or someone's gonna say, "Man up, don't be so silly." You know, especially somebody like a father figure who mm. is from a different generation who did, never really talked about anxiety or depression or the feelings. So, so to uh, to then realise that when you do open up, to get that response from your dad it must just have been so amazing that's great yeah yeah you know it's full understanding you know same my father-in-law as well you know it's like you know we we get you and there was there was none of that my preconceived responses weren't the case at all I think that harks back to the whole it's okay to talk about it thing because I had a lot of preconceptions how would people react you know I've got anxiety I'm showing this what I perceived as weakness this mental health again another label mental health and you know all these things that I'm admitting to myself to having but then telling others and I think that's why my feelings now are you know that as a male who's gone through it you know of a certain age as well of a in-between generation you've got the stoicism of the older generation we've got the younger generation who are more open about feelings I noticed that sort of from just from my studies you know that you know younger people are able to talk about how they feel and able to address things maybe a little bit better than but sort of my generation is that kind of like we're in between you know we don't talk about that but we should be and I'd say the feedback just from the sort of promotional work I've done myself was fantastic. You know, male friends coming forward, you know, and commenting, you know, good on you, you know, 
and you know a lot of really good feedback and I take that away with me and say you know I'd hold my hands up I'd never be embarrassed about talking about mental health now hence why I'm happy to willfully talk about this now you know because it's not something that I'm embarrassed about it's it doesn't define me I define who I am you know I think that's another key point as well and anyone who suffers anxiety it feels like it's ruling your life but it doesn't you know it's just just like any other illness you know there are treatments there is support you can get through it I just think there must be so many people out there who who think you know someone with chronic anxiety can just turn it off you know yeah. and it's not something and you it's can not do. that simple no no and I think that's one of the things you know people say pull yourself together I mean I've never had that said to me but you do hear it I've heard it in other sort of places maybe professionally as well as personally you know different phrases that are used as well and it's like no you're not getting it you know just yeah you can't turn it off I mean I battled for ages to come back to work when I first had anxiety it was it was a nightmare because I just wanted to get back to normal and I mean amazing counselling you know amazing support out there but you can just turn it off wake up next day and say I feel great I feel fine you know it's daily runs it's like Forrest Gump I was out there every day doing three miles a day running you know just thinking maybe that'll burn it out of me you know get it but you'd get home you'd be yeah you'd have the high of running exercise is good but even then you know you think oh, I still feel not quite there so obviously counselling medication and that's another stigma, you know, people are reluctant with medication as well. And I think that reluctance, you know, is not a bad thing. You know, whatever works, I think is worth doing. So if it's medication, if it's counselling, um, you know, if you're using distraction therapy, whatever works, use it without worrying about stigmas again. You know, if, it's, if there's any way of breaking the cycle. I think my key thing that I learned, I had, I had a former manager a long time ago explain the system of steps, and it certainly worked for me, is when you're going up the steps, not to run up the steps because you'll trip. And so just to walk those steps, take those gentle steps. So if your mental health, you're at the bottom or you're nearing the bottom, you know, just take those gentle steps up. Take your time with those steps. Not try and run and say, right, I'm back, I'm back to normal. And allow yourself that time. That certainly worked for me. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.